Welcome back to the 212th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including why progressives are in favor of marijuana and should they actually move on from that issue. Uh, billionaire Bill Ackman is putting a lot of money behind Mr. Dean Phillips and the logic that will lead the Democratic Biden administration to leave behind Israel when the political time comes. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, as enough rambling for me, let's jump into our daily debate. Should marijuana be not just a Schedule three drug, like there's been some advisory opinions from uh, different government agencies, you know, to stop listing as a Schedule one, make it a Schedule three. But would you take it even further than that? Would you keep it Schedule one? Where would you rank it? What do you think uh, marijuana or the role marijuana should play in our society? Should it be, you know, the demon that it has been for a long time, or should it be widely accepted? I know lots of people who have very different opinions on this one, and I'd love to hear what yours is. Throw it down there in the comments section. Now, let's jump to our first article that comes from prospect.org, and the headline reads, How Progressives Went to Pot. And let's be clear, when I first read this uh, headline, I was like, wait, what? And then I read the lines underneath it. I was like, oh, very clever of them, honestly. So we know that marijuana has been a really key issue, especially for younger voters and on the Democratic side of the aisle for quite some time, uh, especially coming out of the 70s, but really going through the late 2010s. And I would even say you could see a good amount of movement on this from the you know 2008, a little bit before that. But the mainstream wasn't really there. A lot of the older voters were not in that camp. Maybe they had experienced something when they were younger, they had done it, and now they're like, no, I, I think it should still be uh, something that's, that's bad. There's lots of varying experiences here. And as someone who has parents that are a little bit older, uh, I know that they are not in support of having it out there and being 100% uh, decriminalized, legalized. Uh, their, and let's be clear, their opinions have moved over over the years, but people of that generation have a different viewpoint of it. I think Gen X and millennials, they're like, I really don't care. Like, you do your thing. If you don't harm me, if you don't get in the way, if you're not out there, you know, high as a kite and possibly going for... Uh, doing something that could be dangerous to yourself or doing something that could be dangerous for others, then they don't really care. And Gen Z is out here like, whoa, 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 hey, nah, nah, even if, like, just let me do my thing. I, I actually want it to be 100% okay. I want it to be normalized. I want more people to do it so that they're chill and they're not over, the, like, there's varying opinions on this one. So why have progressives taken up the, the pot issue? The author here is actually arguing, okay, yes, we've taken up the pot issue, but there are more problems to be worried about here. So let's get the pot issue off the table, and then we can come back to the more important social issues that we're trying to fight, which I think is an interesting argument, to say the least. So let's go to one of the first quotes from this article. An FDA report, which the government tried to cover up, has just attested to what everybody has known for decades. 
marijuana has a variety of valuable medical uses. Yet, because it is not quite legal, it is not federally approved for medical purposes except under stringent restrictions, and is still classified in federal law as a Schedule One drug, a category of drugs with no medical uses and a high potential for abuse. So we'll stop here for one second. Uh, the categorization as a Schedule One. Uh, no medical uses, complete BS. Whether or not you agree it should be used in those medical cases, it has the ability to help people with uh, stroke syndromes. Uh, you could stretch it to anxiety disorders if they're really bad anxiety disorders, uh, chronic pain with uh, certain CBD oils and you know CBD strains of marijuana. So the medical use part is completely gone. Now, the high potential for abuse. This one is, is tricky. When I was younger, I was not necessarily there. I was like, whoa, no, what do you mean? It's non-addictive. And yes, it's chemically non-addictive, but I've always made the argument to my friends, which is the experience, having that escape through a drug, having the high that comes with it, that alone can be addictive because you're releasing dopamine. And when you release dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, things of this nature, you crave that because your body, after it's done with that high, it's like, whoa, okay, now we got to counterbalance things. We got to level you out a little bit. You've been too high for too long. And when I say too high for too long, I mean the levels of your hormones have been too high. You've also probably been too high. Um, you've been too high for too long, so your body tries to level things out. And then in order to get to the point where you feel those good things again, because now when you just experience good things in your normal life, the endorphin amount that is released is not the same. It, you know, it's lower than what you would get from a high. So do you actually experience the same amount of happiness and joy from the most mundane things anymore? I would argue, and let's be clear, there's research here done. It was a lovely book I read, uh, Dopamine Nation, which talks about this counterbalancing that your body does and how having certain peaks can actually make it feel as though, even though you still are happy, can make it feel as though it's not as satisfying when you have a natural endorphin release from doing something uh, compared to the endorphin and dopamine release that you get from a high. So I think that this idea, the feeling that you get, these releases that make other things seem not good enough, that really does lend itself to returning to the drug. I would say that is what would make it uh, abuse, uh, give it a tendency towards abuse. Not saying that it's actually chemically addictive, you know, in its substance itself, but the process that your body goes through while on this substance, it's hard to replicate in other places, and you yearn for it because you want to feel happy. You want to have those dopamine, serotonin, uh, endorphin releases. So, Yes, the experience itself is addictive. You want to return to it. That doesn't mean that the drug is addictive. And we've seen lots of new cases where with stronger marijuana, uh, there are more psychotic episodes that have happened throughout the last 10 years. And that is one thing that we could only find out by legalizing it in certain places and having it more common, which I think was a good argument. Hey, we need to let the states do their thing. We're going to legalize it. And then these are great case studies. And now with the case studies, we're seeing results that we may not actually enjoy. So I don't agree with it being Schedule 1. I think there could be an argument for, for Schedule 3 at that point. Uh, honestly, uh, like I said, I think there could be an argument. Honestly, just 
Get out of it. Get out of people's business. If they want to do stupid things with their body, let them do stupid things with their body as long as they are of age. I would say if you want to do of age, you should probably make it like 25 because at the end of the day, it affects their brain chemistry and their brain is still developing. But that, that's a completely separate argument for another day on that one. Um, so I'll go to the rest of the article talking about what's going on in the FDA right now. Quote, but the FDA, in a report released last Friday, found that marijuana does have important medical uses and that abuses are less common and less harmful than other abused drugs. So you can make that argument as well to bring it down from Schedule 1. Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services proposed that it would be revising it to Schedule 3 with other prescription drugs. However, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, is still stuck on the Rifa Madness era. While marijuana was viewed as a highly dangerous gateway drug, the DEA has opposed reclassification. And when they kind of, they say it here and the, the framing is, oh, well, they're stuck in an old age and they're calling it a gateway drug and that's just kind of idiotic. I disagree. I think it most definitely is a gateway drug. There is no doubt that if you have a hard line in the sound, sand where you will not do drugs. Actually, hold on. Let's remove it from drugs for a second. Let's say you're on a diet. And you say, no, I'm not going to cheat. I, I don't have any cheat days whatsoever. And you stay ardently true. And then you cheat one day. And you say, oh, well, okay, it's, it's just a cheat day. It's no big deal. I can get right back on, on the program. But now you've opened up the door. Okay, well, I've had cheat days before, and I've gotten right back on the program. And it continues to be a cycle. And sometimes you're like, oh, well, I had a cheat day the other day, but I also had a cheat day today, and I can get right back on the program after this. Or it becomes a negative spiral where, oh, I cheated. Is there really any point on doing this diet anymore? I've cheated two times in the last week. So you could see here, once you have a strong principle breakdown, which is I will not do drugs, and you introduce one that is not that terrible. You know, at the end of the day, marijuana is not one of the worst drugs out there, but because it is so simple and innocuous to some people and they just let it say, oh, yeah, you, you can just do it, no problem, then that opens up that hard principle, that it breaks that hard principle down where you're not going to do any drugs, and then it opens the door like, oh, okay, well, marijuana wasn't that bad, and I was told it was really bad. Why not some of these other things, which really are really terrible drugs and really, really addictive for you? So I, I think at the end of the day, you could make an argument, oh, okay, hey, if you have that same strong principle where you only try marijuana and nothing else, sure. But humans are inherently weak. So I think <laughs> to believe that you can just set hard and fast rules where you're not going to do something, it, you know, when you break through that one barrier, that drug barrier, it changes your mentality on certain things. And you're able to see the other side who's arguing, oh, well, no, marijuana isn't that bad. Other drugs really aren't that bad, uh, so on and so forth. And once you're on that side of the fence, once you're in that culture, it very easily escalates because of what I was talking about earlier about the chasing that dopamine, chasing those endorphins, chasing that serotonin. Eventually, either you're going to be smoking more weed in order to chase those endorphins and those, those dopamine releases, or you're going to go to a harder drug, and it just continues from there. I know that's pretty basic logic. It could be picked apart pretty easily, but... I do believe that there is something to the points that I just laid out there. Um, I, I can tell you from personal experience, I know people that escalated from marijuana to other things. So at the end of the day, 
uh, I, there's at least anecdotal evidence in my life that provides uh, a structure for me to have these logical arguments and I'll also say, oh, well, look at how it happened here with this person in the real world. So I want to get to the last part of the article where the author is talking about, hey, we need to get past marijuana. Quote, in the 60s, there was a one-part social justice, one-part sex, drugs, and rock and roll mentality to the movement. Quote, guess which one took over the larger culture? Indeed, other progressive demands for local control, such as the school reform movement of that era, have now been captured by libertarian capitalists as well as in the promotion of school vouchers. When it comes to marijuana, what we have to do now is the worst of both worlds. Unregulated, or what we have now, is the worst of both worlds. Unregulated weed being taken over by capitalists, while medical uses are still stymied. So, let's do it right. Let's make recreational and medical use of marijuana fully legal and have the FDA certify potency and license sales. And then, we could we please move on to more urgent causes, end quote. So you can you kind of feel the frustration because they just make it a one-liner here at the end. Okay, let's do all this stuff. I'm going to capitulate. I'm going to give you all of this because I, you know, I don't really care about it. And let's move on to more important things. And the reason I think this argument weighs very heavily on people's hearts, or at least in the political minds of people, is because of that libertarian strain that the progressive author is talking about. And I think it's actually a really important one, which is, does the government have the, are we going to give the government the right, the ability to interfere in our lives and tell us what we can and can't do and slowly, slowly affect change culturally through government edict? That is a very serious, very serious question. Uh, a lot of people view, there's two views. There's government is downstream of culture and culture is downstream of government. I think that for the most part, government is downstream of culture because, you know, if the culture changes, we elect people in there to change the view in government. But there are certain things where government leads and it changes the way people feel about things. I mean, the war on drugs is a pretty great example. So at the end of the day, um, this, this strain between how much the government should be involved and how much the government shouldn't be involved is why the marijuana issue is so contentious. People say it's about weed, and let's be clear, it is. Some people just want to smoke marijuana, but it goes beyond that because they feel as though the government shouldn't be justified in directly interfering in their lives. And I think that is an important conversation that we could, if we're using marijuana as a proxy, sure, but I think we could have an actual conversation about that and remove the, the marijuana from that category and then have a separate conversation about the marijuana, whether it should or should not be uh, changed schedule-wise or allowed in each and every state and let people do as they please. So I think the author hits on something very important there, and that's why I wanted to highlight it and also just point out that, yes, progressives care about marijuana, but not, not that much. Like, you know, it's another talking point. A lot of them probably do, but most of them probably care more about their social issues. Okay, so that was a pretty long first one. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Let's jump to our second one that comes from the Daily Beast. The headline reads, Billionaire Bill Ackman vows to pour $1 million into making Dean Phillips the Dem nominee. Um, so when I, when I looked at this title, let, let, let's actually break it down. Bill Ackman, the man that was pushing out Claudine Gay 
that was calling for Harvard to reform its policies towards uh, anti-Semitism or hate against Jewish students, and was kind of ta- he was kind of touted by the right there for a little bit. Now he's saying, okay, we're going to throw money into a Dem campaign. Now, I don't think this is a useful thing to do with his money. I'll be honest with you. I do not think that Dean Phillips has any chance whatsoever of winning. I don't even think he has a chance of changing the conversation, which is one thing you could argue. That's why Cenk Uger uh, is running from the Young Turks. He is saying that he directly wants to affect and call out certain issues and change the conversation in the presidential election. And I don't think he's going to have a chance of doing that either. De- Democrats know, or at least believe, that Joe Biden has this absolutely locked in. Any of these other candidates are not actually going to change or affect the conversation whatsoever. You could say Marianne Williamson was one of those people. She had the ability to at the beginning. Now she has been completely trounced. The conversation does not even touch her anymore. They don't give her any attention on mainstream media, at least in a positive way. Sometimes they'll say negative things about them. Uh, RFK, he dropped out. He was trying to change the conversation. I would say that he had the best chance of actually changing the conversation. He dropped out of the Democratic primary. He is now running as an independent. You've also seen some of his coverage die off. Dean Phillips, after he announced, he got maybe three days of actual coverage about, oh, this guy is challenging Biden. And it came a lot from Republicans. Uh, There was some talking from the Democrats as well. They were saying, how dare you? I don't know what you're going after here, so on and so forth. And the Republicans gave him a little bit more time saying, oh, is this a real challenge to Biden? Even his own party, there are members who are not in support of him, even the moderate wing. They don't want Joe Biden anymore. He's challenging him. None of it's going to matter. And when you hear about this billionaire dropping a million dollars into his campaign, sure, the million dollars means very, very little to him. I understand that. But come on, he has no chance of changing anything. If you're doing it as a political statement, I understand. Ah, yes, I just got the Claudine Gay out of Harvard. I just had a successful campaign, but now the left hates me because of it. So I'm going to talk about getting a moderate left-wing person, a moderate Democrat, into the presidential conversation. I'm going to give him money in his primary so that he can make sure he challenges Joe Biden. Maybe he's trying to rebuild a standing. Maybe he's just trying to declare, no, I am not with Joe Biden. I'm not with this far left side of the party and trying to firm that up after Claudine Gay. I honestly don't understand. But that's enough rambling for me on this one. At the very beginning, let's jump into one of the quotes. Quote, and he's putting down $1 million to help Phillips beat Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. And this is a quote from Bill Ackman himself. This is not a joke, and I'm totally serious, Ackman noted and announced on his decision on X. Quote, the hedge fund manager dropped the bombshell news shortly after a new poll showed Donald Trump holding a wide lead in Iowa against two Republican rivals less than two days before Monday's caucuses. Trump was polling at 48 percent, while former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley at 20 percent and Governor Ron DeSantis at 16 percent, according to the Des Moines, Iowa Register, NBC and Mediacom poll. 
quote, Biden is polling poorly against at real Donald Trump and his members are only his numbers are only going to get worse as he ages and he is not looking good at all. There is also a reasonable chance that Biden is forced to withdraw for health reasons, Ackman wrote. So all of those arguments, they actually make a, a fair amount of sense to me. Uh, and let's, I know I was lambasting him in the, the front end here. I, I, I know I was lambasting him. You're probably like, Alex, you didn't even read the article. Why are you? No, because I, I think all of those arguments that I made at the very beginning still hold true. All of the arguments he's making now, which is if it comes down to Trump v. Biden, uh, yes, it looks like Trump is going to win at this point. Things could change, but it looks like Trump is going to win at this point. Yes, Joe Biden is old, so trying to get a younger person into the spotlight in the primary in order to defeat Joe Biden, uh, that is a worthy cause. Those are still strong arguments on his part. I just think he's idiotic in believing that Joe Biden will not be the nominee. I, I think it's idiotic to believe that anybody could properly challenge President Joe Biden, the incumbent president, in his own primary. Very seldom, I believe it is twice, we have seen an incumbent president defeated in a primary. It is extremely, extremely rare. And when you have the entire Democratic apparatus coming behind Joe Biden because they hate Trump as much as they do, they did it in 2020 after everybody else faded out, they made all the other candidates, made, that's not fair. All the other candidates dropped out and then simultaneously supported Joe Biden and they happened to all get great jobs somewhere for the most part, or they got to keep their previous jobs and uh, even got to have a little bit of influence in the policies, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders. So even though you've seen this whole apparatus before and come behind Joe Biden, you truly believe that Dean Phillips is going to be the way forward? Come on, Bill Ackman. You may be making good points, but that doesn't mean that it's actually going to pan out in Dean Phillips's favor. I'm sorry, nobody knows him. Nobody cares about him. They saw the thing, oh, Dean Phillips is running. Hmm, I, I don't know who he is. Is he a, is he a Republican? And then they mentioned, oh, he's, he's a Democrat. But Joe Biden's probably going to win. I didn't realize that anybody was competing against Joe Biden. I thought that Marianne one kind of fell off a cliff. They just won't, the media will not accept, and I say the media on both sides, Fox News, they want, they want, Biden to be the nominee because they see him as beatable. So they're not going to give much besides the initial part where they said, oh, is there weakness on the Democratic side? And then trying to show that Biden's a little weak. And then they won't, they'll plant that little idea in people's minds. And then they won't talk about Dean Phillips anymore, or at least enough to get him to actually win the Republic, the Democrat primary, which doesn't really matter because Democrats don't really watch Fox News. So it's not like it would actually affect them. Maybe a few independents do. And the rest of the media apparatus, the other media folks, they don't see it as a valid opposition. They don't see it as something that's actually going to pan out. So why waste time covering it when they could just cover the most likely nominee and then be able to... And you might be saying, well, Alex, you think they're in the hands of the Democrat? Yes, I think uh, to some degree there is a, a working relationship between all media people and all all parties within Washington. But I think it's even more about the money, the prestige, which is they think that Joe Biden is going to be the president. They want to give him that coverage ahead of time. They want to give him the positive coverage ahead of time. They want to cement that in because a Trump versus Biden rematch 
is going to be good for their numbers, especially because it's two presidents going up against each other. I mean, imagine that. Imagine the graphics you can make. Oh, the battle of the presidents, so on and so forth. So I think that it is aligned for them to want Joe Biden to continue going as he's currently operating and be the next presidential nominee for the Democrats. And Bill Ackman throwing his money in there is a absolute waste. That's just my opinion. Uh, maybe some other people are, you know, cheering him on from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, let's go, Bill. Let's go. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm the guy sitting in the corner with a frown on his face. Or I know I'm his financial manager with the frown on the face. Like that's that's a million dollars you could throw into uh, a company. Uh, there's a million dollars you could throw into buying a few different two different apartments in a small place that you could rent out and make some extra money. Not that he actually needs it, but my point being, I don't feel like it's a good investment. So let's jump to our final article. This one, when I first was going through it, was uh, it seems pretty straightforward. But I like the way they lay out some of their arguments here. And it comes from the National Review, or sorry, National Review. And the, lo- the headline reads, The logic that will force Biden to abandon Israel. So, obviously, Mr. President Biden, he is a big Israel supporter. He has been for a long time. That's Well, that's also his justification for being an Israel supporter now, which is, I've believed in their sovereignty for a long time. I've worked with them in the past. I know BB, blah, 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 blah. But there's a certain contingent within his voting base, his current voting base, that does not want Mr. Biden to actually go and support Israel. They want them to, they want the Democrats in the administration to call for a ceasefire to make sure that Israel doesn't encroach anymore on Gaza, that doesn't kill any more citizens. And while this is probably a minority throughout the entirety of the United States, it does, a large segment of it composes of a very important voting block for Mr. Biden, which is young voters. So at what point is President Biden going to start to look at this as a political game rather than purely a foreign policy game? And that is what National Review is trying to get at here. Quote, for the most part, Joe Biden's approach to navigating the politics of the Israel's defensive war against Hamas has drawn high marks from Israel supporters. In rhetorical terms, Biden's refusal to counteract the arguments made by advocates for Israeli surrender in the face of terrorist aggression has been steadfast. Even the administration's apparent criticism of Israel's conduct, lobbying lobbying for a lower-intensity campaign in Gaza, has been written off as kabuki. Uh, this They describe it as a lower-intensity phase, which is always going to follow the initial ground invasion. Quote, but Biden's boosters also fear the inelectable political logic that might one day compel the president to abandon Israel even against his better instincts. Their trepidation is prudent. So you may be thinking, whoa, what are, what are they getting at here? There are people in the party that are saying, okay, If you want to lock up an electoral victory, you're going to have to put aside some of your really pro-Israel arguments. And even people who are foreign policy-minded are going to say, we can't inevitably, we can't forever. We can't just keep on supporting Israel and Ukraine forever. That's not going to be a tenable position. People are not going to be okay with that. So there's a few different logical strains here that really concern people that he may turn away from Israel. 
And there's one little part here at the end of the National Review article, which I want to highlight. Quote, if that flawed logic prevails with Biden's inner circle, it would be a grievous error. The people besieging the White House cannot be appeased. The attempt to do so risks courting a modest demographic at the risk of angering a far larger host. So they're talking about the modest part of the demographic that is truly supporting Hamas or at least supporting Gaza in all of this versus the majority of people who support Israel. Quote, the attempt to do so risks courting a modest demographic, already said that, support for Israel's cause is a majoritarian issue. As of last week, Gallup found that about 40% of voters think Biden is doing the right amount to support Israel, while another roughly 40% don't think he's doing enough. Biden would be foolish to align himself with the minority position in an 80 to 20 proposition. And that's what it comes down to. So if his electoral fears overtake him and the people pressuring him on all sides to get Israel to stop attacking, to get Israel to be a little bit easier on Gaza, if all those people that are surrounding him went out, it could hurt him in the election. And this is a fear that people are genuinely having. So they're trying to get a lot of the people in politics to call out Joe Biden and make sure that he stays in line. You can see it from a large majority of the media figures who comment, is Biden being, or at least at the very beginning, is Biden being supportive enough? Is his language hedging in any way, shape, or form? So on and so forth. So they're going to try to, I don't want to say bully him because he is the president. He is the strongest. He is the most powerful man in the entire world. But he still has to care about re-election. And if he's cast in a negative light because of this Israel stuff, then maybe they could keep him from falling to the other 20% that are outwardly pro-Hamas and pro-Gaza. That's an interesting argument that the National Review, or National Review, I keep saying the National Review, National Review is trying to make. And I think it could play out exactly as they say, but there's enough pro-Israel people, enough strongly pro-Israel people, that the pushback will be very strong. And I think, I believe, that if Joe Biden wants to succeed, he's going to have to stick in the middle on this one, which is we don't want too much violence on either side, but we support Israel's right to exist. And if anybody tries to attack them, we will materially support them, so on and so forth. I think that's probably the best political message, trying to not upset too many boats at the same time. So with all that, We've gone through our main stories. Let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Woo Globe. Uh, headline, owner hides in a blanket when dog comes looking for her. And then they put in a little asterisk, wholesome. Yes, it is a very wholesome video. The dog is very confused. Like, what is this? What is this big block, this big red uh, rock doing in the middle? Oh, it's my human. It's uh, pretty adorable. Uh, interaction for sure. I think the woman enjoyed it more than the dog did, if I'm if I'm being honest, but still, it's pretty darn cute. So if you want to check out this video or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find a link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine. And with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die. <laughs>